The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and we had not one, not two, not three, not four, but five FSU athletic events canceled or postponed in the past two weeks. Two football games, two women's basketball games, and one men's basketball game. We also had some a big decommit from FSU football this afternoon and much, much more around the nation. We'll get to all of that in just a minute. But first, as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, thank you for stepping in last week when I had to dip town a little bit early for Thanksgiving. You stepped in. You did a great job as host. Really appreciate that. Thank you. And one thing from this past weekend, Austin, were you able to take part in watching the uh, Nate Robinson, Jake Paul, Roy Jones Jr. versus Mike Tyson boxing events that were going on this weekend? I watched one of those fights, and it's probably the one that you would be more disappointed in me for watching. It was uh, Nate Robinson and Jake Paul, and that was incredible, the amount of memes that spawned on Twitter, the jokes that flew that night. Uh, I did not really care to watch the other fight. I mean, obviously the legacy is there. Those are two incredible boxers, but the rules were just really dumbed down. I did not care for that whatsoever. I actually did not watch the Mike Tyson fight because wow. my stream that I was watching on kind of bu- got busted after the Nate Robinson fight, so I only watched the that one. So I see. that was a great, that was a really fun fight to watch. I mean, like, because <laughs> you can't go into that expecting any semblance of real boxing no. to happen. So that's why I thought it was pretty fun. I didn't want Jake Paul to win by any stretch of the imagination. No, <laughs> I think we were all rooting for Nate Robinson to come through big, but. Uh, Jake Paul's experience and what little he has of it fighting some other YouTubers really paid off this weekend. It did, yeah. Obviously, his uh, experience fighting KSI, Comedy Shorts Gamer, as people used to call him, uh, that was really interesting back in the day. I did not think he'd come back for another round of celebrity boxing, and when he did, I did not expect it to be against a former NBA player. But the product was entertaining, and that's really all they care about, besides former, getting their money. Former three-time NBA dunk contest exactly. winner as well. and That's some, what makes it so much more confusing. I know, but some people, it seems that they'll be stripping him of those dunk contest titles <laughs> with this loss on Twitter, at least. So it was a lot of, it was very fun to watch that. Obviously, if you've been on social media the past couple of days, you've seen the memes of Jake Paul walking around like he's the champ, and then Nate Paul, or Nate Robinson face first on the mat, because yep. he got hit pretty hard. Slipped. Then, yeah, so... That was a great fight to watch. Um, sadly, Sebastian Angel Riano is out this week. He decided, just like myself, to go home just a bit early for Thanksgiving. So he is home, but he will be staying home for the next couple weeks for the Christmas break because FSU kind of did recommend a lot of us to stay home after Thanksgiving. But I wasn't exactly home. I was with some other family up north, and then I traveled back down south. So we're here. We're still socially distanced, still masked up. We have wiped down and sanitized this entire place head to toe. So... No worry really there, but uh, we hope that Sebastian's having a great time back home with his family. Enjoy it while he can for these next couple of weeks because you don't know how much you're going to have it, especially once we're all graduating at the end of next year. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, we also will have Maxwell Rundy on the show later on tonight to talk some NFL and a little bit of college football national landscape for the second half. And then if you want to follow us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk, we do a lot of fun stuff on there. Uh, I don't believe anyone's running the Twitter for us tonight. We usually do a little bit of jokes and every now and then. But, yeah, go give us a follow if you are so inclined. Um, let's talk with – let's start with FSU football. I mean, second week in a row, second cancellation. I'm calling it a cancellation. The ACC would probably like to call it a postponement. Mm-hmm. But they are – they're legitimately going to cancel this game because Bronco Mendenhall came out today. I'll, for, I'll first start with this, actually. I'm kind of jumping the gun. Uh, FSU had their game postponed on Saturday, also hours before the game, just like they did against Clemson a few weeks ago. Instead, this one was more on FSU's part, where they had one player test positive. That one player happened to be a scholarship athlete, and so FSU was then under the threshold for required scholarship players to participate in this matchup. So that knocked them down to 44 scholarship athletes. I believe it was 45 that you need to play, and so the game was called off. And then uh, last night, FSU, it was announced that FSU will not be playing their final game against Duke this year. We don't know yet if FSU will be playing a final game. We, it may have been uh, NC State that was their final game as of right now. So that is st- still up in the air. But Duke is no longer on the schedule. Duke will instead be playing Miami on December 5th. So 
They still uh, have the open dates of the 12th and the 19th, which the 12th is the week before the ACC title game. The 19th is still the day of the ACC title game. But uh, as of right now, we heard this more or this afternoon, Bronco Mendenhall, UVA head coach, said they will not be making the trip back to Tallahassee to take on the Seminoles. So you can already cancel the uh, Cavaliers off the schedule. And from some sources that I heard from, Clemson will not be also will also not be making the trip down just because that is not beneficial to them playing in an ACC title game the week after and possibly risking someone getting hurt in what many would see as to be a meaningless football game. So where does this really lead us? Because that was a lot of information that I kind of just went through. Now, this we've had some guys already opt out, and that might be for the right reasons. Like Asante Samuel Jr. is no longer with the program. He is now pretty much declared for the NFL draft. So that's now down two scholarship athletes if you really want to count it that way because now they'd be at 43 even with the positive COVID test where are we going from here I think we have seen the Seminoles play for the last time in 2020 and that honestly as an FSU student as somebody who goes and covers games it feels like I have had the rug pulled out from under me I'm sure you feel the same way a little bit and I'm saying that as an FSU student once again so I cannot imagine like the feeling that the players the coaches everybody around that team is feeling just I would say multiply my feelings by a thousand, and that's how they're feeling right now. The guys who wake up early every morning, go to go to bed late every night, uh, practice every day of the week that they are, are supposed to, uh, prep for games, whether they win by 30 or lose by 30. Granted, there haven't been a lot of games that that team has won by 30 recently, but still, they, they put in incredible amounts of effort to be able to play for us every every Saturday or what are the, whatever day, and to just have the ACC say, you're not, or, well, this this past Saturday, that's one thing because you were still in contact tracing. But to have the ACC come out and say you're not going to be able to play your last scheduled game, that probably tore them up a little bit, even if this product was a little hard to watch sometimes. So I, it, it it sucks to say, but I do think that uh, the 2020 season is done for the Knolls. I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. And like you said, as a student and as being able to watch this program for the past few years, it did suck, honestly, because I was my dad was my dad came down here for the last game. He was going to see his first, or he was going to watch the Seminoles for the second time uh, in my college uh, career here. Uh, he went to the game against Syracuse our freshman year, and then he hadn't been to a game since. So he was really excited to come here for that. We had some pretty decent tickets, but that got uh, canceled. But like you said, this this was supposed to be senior day for the FSU football players. And Janarius Robinson tweeted, I always looked forward to senior day walking across that field with my mom and godfather. Unfortunately, I won't have that opportunity this year with the heartbroken emoji. So it really did suck. Like once I saw that, I for I kind of remembered, oh my gosh, this was supposed to be senior day. And these guys were supposed to have that moment that they'll remember for a lifetime, being able to be with their family on that day and being able to say, hey, I achieved something. I was here for four years. I played and I stuck this out. Yeah, and I'm actually, uh, I just opened Twitter like at the start of the show and I saw a couple of tweets from Kurt Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat. He is uh, tweeting Mike Norvell's media availability both with, with, with his weekly coaches show. And he said, first of all, that the uh, the one positive test that FSU got Friday night was at 1130. That's a lot later than I would have thought. So they were still doing contact tracing in the early morning hours. And he said, uh, Kurt Weiler said that Norvell was prepping his team uh, to fill a roster for Saturday's game at Duke. But the ACC forced their hand uh, and canceled that themselves. So this was this was definitely not FSU making the call to... to canceled this game against duke they still actively wanted to play this game but it was just not going to happen so and well i'm also going through kurt's tweets as well because he is, does some great work here works for the tallahassee democrat absolutely he said uh, norvell believes the mindset of this team is in the right place and that fsu is fully preparing on the 12th at this point yeah hoping to play any sort of football game against anyone anytime any place so maybe, maybe there is a chance that Florida State will be playing. And in that case, we'll, there'll be a lot of athletics going on in Tallahassee on that day. There'll be The men's basketball team will be taking on the Gators that Saturday afternoon. And then it would be possible that FSU football would either be playing in Doak or somewhere else around the southeast. So who knows there. But we're, I, we're very much so assuming that this season is over because yeah. you can't really assume that a lot of players are going to want to come back out here especially because also the ACC threshold that 45 scholarship athletes still will not be met most yep. likely. Cause the, if, even if that one player who does, uh, who did test positive, hopefully recovers well and then is able to play on the 12th, 
that's still 44 because Asante Samuels has opted out. Mm -hmm. So there you go. You're right back to where you were this past weekend. So really, it's very tough for this to actually come together and make it work in realistic fashion. Yeah, it's a really tough situation to be in. And I I like the optimism from Norvell saying that the team is prepping uh, every way that they can to play a game on the 12th. But it's it's all fine if the team is prepping for that. It's just which which one of the ACC teams is going to be willing to schedule a game last minute that in all likelihood is not going to benefit them at all. Yeah, there and we can kind of go through some of the schedule and there really is there really would be no one. I mean like I heard Wake Forest was being thrown around last night. Um obviously Duke wouldn't be in the question. Miami doesn't want to, Miami's not going to want to play no. again. I mean, actually they might want to. They might want to <laughs> double up on beating FSU in twice in the same season which I don't think has happened in quite a long time, if any time at all. But it's it's going to be tough, and I really don't see Florida State taking the field again this season. It's highly unlikely in our expert, you could call it that, our expert opinions here. So, I mean, we can move on now. There's Because there's some other, maybe for some FSU fans, saddening news for them at least, because uh, four-star quarterback out of Mississippi, Luke Altmaier, has since decommitted as of this morning from Florida State University. He will be exploring other opportunities and looking elsewhere to take his talents to. As of right now, all signs are pointing to uh, Ole Miss and to join Lane Kiffin and the Lane Train. And with that offense that we've been seeing out of there past few weeks, can you blame him really? No, you really can't. But, I mean, that is kind of traitorous because he is from Starkville, Mississippi, right in Mississippi State's backyard. So I can't can't, uh, fathom that... The Mississippi State organization is too happy with that. But uh, if he is, if he sees what's going down at FSC right now and he wants out, that is fully within his right to, to opt out. Uh, I guess opt out isn't really the right term, but to, to pull his commitment from FSU and look for better options. So best of luck to him in the, uh, the process of finding a new organization to play for in 2021. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to really say you want to come and play for a program that's seeming to be so dysfunctional yeah. at this moment because... Everything was going right. I mean, think about the time. Let's just kind of go through the timeline that Mike Norvell has had since he was hired. I was looking this up because I was kind of looking into like, okay, when was exactly the day Norvell was announced or when was he here to do his opening press conference? That was December 8th. That was eight days, almost a year ago today, just eight days short. And there was such optimism that day. I was in uh, the Champions Club for that opening press conference, saw him walk uh, from we saw him walk 120 yards across the field from uh, goalpost to goalpost uh, between the marching chiefs. They were playing the war chant. They were playing the fight song, this, this, and this. He was with his family. And everything, just I mean, just like Willie Taggart, everything seemed to be going in the right direction. Yep. And then everything started to take a turn for the worst once we got to March, just like for everything. And I mean, this is it's not only FSU football, but realistically the whole world that had a greater impact on, and that's the coronavirus pandemic. So that halted any sort of progress that he could have made in recruiting, in just spring practice, because they lost a whole spring season for a first-year coach. That's something that they really used to um, install their pro, install their offense, install the defense, figure out who's going to be where, and kind of get an idea, especially with the spring game. They lose that then. Then he doesn't have a true fall or true summer practice. He doesn't have a true fall practice, fall preseason kind of practice. And then he gets thrown into a kind of Frankenstein season. And that's not going to be good for anyone. Obviously, the teams that are out there right now, and the teams that are playing best are teams that don't have first-year head coaches. I don't know if I might be wrong, but I'd like to challenge someone to find me a first-year head coach. Uh, Hugh, I mean, Hugh Free. I know Hugh Free is a second year. Yeah. I'd find me a first-year head coach that is really in contention, is really playing really, really good football. And you're saying they're in good hands there, and there's no question or no doubts. But... A lot of people are starting to find some doubts possibly in Mike Norvell, to which I say, relax. It's a weird season. I call it a Frankenstein season because that's what it is. We're having these two games canceled or postponed. We might have a game on the week of the ACC championship game, but not play in the ACC championship game. And it's it's a mess. So there really can't be that much uh, negative negativity thrown upon Mike Norvell because of this poor situation he was in. And I still believe Willie Taggart still got kind of the bum end of the stick a few years back when he was fired. But in my, in Luke Altmaier's case, you'd rather go to a program that seems to be doing a little bit better, like Lane Kiffin. I guess Lane Kiffin could be one of those first-year head coaches that True. you could say is doing better, but he's still got, a five, I think he's at a 500 record now after winning, his, yeah. Yeah, winning the Egg Bowl almost. 
So, uh, do you, where would I don't know where does FSU go from here? Because there really aren't that many quarterbacks left, and the, if they do stick with what they have, that's still uh, Chuba and then Tate and Jordan Travis. Do you like this kind of core, or do you want them to try and explore other options? I mean, it's always good to try and explore other options, and I think that's definitely what FSU was trying to do with bringing Altmaier in because, I mean, obviously he was committed prior to this experiment with the four quarterbacks that they had on this, on this roster before, but, I mean, none of them have been particularly just stunning. Uh, Jordan Travis has shown flashes of greatness. He's able to complete a couple deep balls down the field but still doesn't have that consistency in, like, the mid-range passing game uh, that you would expect from a starting-caliber quarterback, and then... Purdy and Rodemaker are still com- almost completely raw. Like, Rodemaker is probably the, the less desirable of the two options, just because Purdy has had a bit more opportunity to prove himself. He's started a full game before, uh, whereas Rodemaker, the little bit of action that we've seen from him has been less than impressive. Uh, so just based off of that, based off the inconsistency, based off the injuries that have uh, really plagued the quarterback room this season, I think FSU is would would love to have the services of Luke Altmaier, but they're not going to have that luxury now. Mm-hmm. So from here, just reach out to anybody who may be <clears throat> considering flipping their commitment and say, hey, you see this mess of a quarterback room that we have here. Anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I, I kind of word it poorly saying explore other options because you're not really exploring other options when you're recruiting for the future. You're right. just trying to stay consistent and have some sort of depth in a position group because – FSU hadn't had that before. Yeah. FSU, James Blackman, prior to Chubba Purdy and uh, Tate Roadmaker, there was a huge gap. There was a three-year gap between quarterbacks recruited. There was because uh, James Blackman was from the class of 2017, and mm-hmm. Chubba and Tate are t- class of 2020. So there's a huge gap there that no one did anything in terms of quarterbacks. So they just want to start developing some sort of real depth because that's what this quarterback room doesn't really seem to have. Yes, numbers are depth in a way, but quality of depth is more important right now. But one player that I could see Florida State kind of going after if they want to try and shake things up in the quarterback room, UCF transfer quarterback or grad transfer possibly right now, Daryl Mack. Okay. So he has entered the transfer portal. He's done some good things at UCF. He's Hasn't had a ton of time to play because he did get injured, but he really does have some solid stuff, and he's a big guy, and he can move a little bit. So he does kind of fit some of the systems that Mike Norvell has been able to uh, put together. If you kind of look at some of his tape, he, I mean, I'm sure tell you Mike Norvell would probably say he's a good quarterback because he did tear up Mike Norvell in a few of those AAC games that he's played against him. So I do think Daryl Mack right now, the Mack attack, might be our best option if Florida State is looking to add another quarterback obviously they are but another a quality quarterback one that you can say this guy can make him impact almost immediately within a year or so obviously mac would have to make it in a year because he's a grad transfer true yeah yeah just any sort of consistency like you mentioned uh really the quality of depth is the biggest issue here i i really do think that fsc is going to try and find a quarterback but at the same time just get these these guys that have been in the system reps during the offseason if if it looks any different from this past offseason if COVID allows it yeah hopefully for their sake they are able to actually have a real spring season because even for us as media just being able to watch spring season means a lot because it gives us an insight to like what this team's got going for them who's developing right who's developing wrong and what this team could possibly look like because going into this year we were we were thrown out into the middle of the ocean without a paddle to row ourselves because we had some idea of what this team could look like, but we really did not know what we were getting into in terms of viewing this team and analyzing what was going to be happening this season. So that that's I think that's enough FSU football tonight because we do have some other uh, FSU news around the uh, Florida State campus. And we can start off with the women's basketball team because they got uh, their first game actually tomorrow night. It was supposedly on last Wednesday. But that was since postponed due to FAMU's women's team uh, opting out of the 2020 to 2021 season. And then they were supposed to play the Gators this past weekend. The Gators had to shut down their practice, do some contact tracing, and then figure out where they were. They find out that they are in good enough shape to be playing this weekend or this week. So they will be taking on Florida State in the Tucker Center at 6 p.m. on Tuesday night. So that's an upside there. We do actually get our first basketball game, both whether it be men's or women's, because the men, we'll talk about them in a second. They just had their game on Friday, postponed due to Gardner-Webb having some issues. But like I said, the women are getting their uh, 
getting underway tomorrow night. Where, who are you most excited to see out of this team for uh, FSU women's basketball? Honestly, <clears throat> excuse me, something in my throat. Uh, Valencia Myers and Morgan Jones would be my two picks because they were uh, pretty strong contributors last season, though the senior class really stole the spotlight. They were the, the driving force of that women's team in 2019-2020. Uh, but Morgan Jones and Valencia Myers are two of the uh, the rising juniors that are going to I think going to have to carry a lot of the load moving forward. Uh, so stepping into the shoes that uh, their names are escaping right now, but the, the three seniors that graduated last mm-hmm. year, the powerful trio, uh, they're going to have to replace a lot of that firepower. Uh, yeah, that's what they had last year and what they've had in years past is a real sort of consistency. And it's going to be tough to replace some of the people like Nikki Okomu, um, what is it? Um, Kai Gillespie, Kai Gillespie and, and Naja Wolfolk. Mm-hmm. So, that's really tough to go in there and say, hey, we're going to straight up replace these yeah. three people or try and reproduce the numbers <clears> that they did because those three were phenomenal FSU players. And you can, and if you want to, Jay Sutton will tell you every single day that uh, Kai Gillespie is the best women's basketball player ever almost. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of the same conversations that we're having about the men's team trying to replace the services of Trent Forrest, Patrick Williams, and Devin Vassell. Those were probably the three most important pieces of that men's offense last year. So, I mean... And the women's team is going to have to adapt to playing without Sue Semra, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. She did mention that she, she was going to take a leave of absence this year to care for her mother in Seattle, I believe. So best best wishes to her, best wishes to the team, because this is going to be a year unlike any other. Yeah, and Brooke Wyckoff, I believe, will be the head coach for right. the women's team. One player that I'm really excited to watch and excited to possibly see play for the first time for FSU, even though she's been here for the past two years, is Isabella Nicoletta. She was uh, she's from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and she's had two bad injuries, really. So she had her freshman year. She had a what is it? A knee injury and then another knee injury again last season. So Mm -hmm. she's really been kind of handicapped by this. And she's really from what we've heard and what we've possibly seen off tape and stuff. She's a really solid player. I mean, she was the number 16 overall player, according to ESPN from the 2018 class. She was the top five guard in her class. So possibly getting that addition to this team possibly that spark that she uh that she could add and bring to this club is really helpful especially when you're trying to look for people to kind of fill holes especially when you don't know really what she can bring to the table and what we've heard is that she's really solid so uh, that's one player that i'm really interested to see get on the court this time around because even last year that was another name that people say oh my gosh just wait till she can actually touch the floor. Mm-hmm. And when she does, possibly uh, fireworks. So we'll see about that. Hopefully their season can go off without as many hitches as uh, possible. Hopefully. So we'll see about that as we get down the line. But let's turn it over to the men's side now. They have their first game scheduled for Wednesday against UNF. The Ospreys will be coming to Tallahassee uh, on Wednesday night to take on FSU in their first game of the season. It's going to be, once again, another kind of weird part where I know we had the women's team, they had two games be postponed. FSU already had their first. I mean, it's crazy to see the first three games, men's or women, get nixed right off the bat. So the men's team will be coming in. We talked a little bit about them last week. Is there any sort of concern that you have with this team? Because I know a lot of people like to point out the positives and say this team was so good last year, they really should have won the national title and this, this, and this, but... What is your biggest concern about this team going into the year? It's really just going to be replaced. <laughs> we keep coming back to the topic of replacing mm-hmm. the, the biggest contributors on these two teams. Uh, because obviously you have uh, a lot of strong uh, players coming back, like MJ Walker. You have Balsa Kopravica, who's going to have another year under his belt at center. And then you have, uh, who, who is the guy? that the Scotty Barnes. Yes, that's mm-hmm. his name. A uh, really highly touted five-star prospect that's going to be coming in. We don't know if he's going to be starting right away because Hamilton is kind of weird with the way he with the way he works his starting lineups. Doesn't like to uh, throw freshmen in there right away, so we don't really know what that offense is going to look like to start, uh, what that team as a whole is going to look like to start. But just being able to find a formula that somehow does not include those three guys that went to the NBA, uh, that's going to be Hamilton's biggest challenge. And I mean, he's been able to do it before. He's been able to have a couple good tournament runs with uh, slightly tweaked rosters due to players leaving. So. I have faith in him to be able to run it back and uh, stick players into roles where they will be valuable to FSU. My my biggest concern, obviously, that's a, you're making a very valid point there with replacements and everything. So I'm kind of going along replacements as well, but trying to find people that are going to be consistent enough three point shooters for this yeah. club because Devin Vassell, he was forty or he's forty one percent from three point range for uh, forty four for one oh six last year, 
And so you lose Vassell, who's the top three-point shooter. Then the next best, uh, one of the next best ones, uh, Trent Forrest was pretty good. Patrick Williams was also pretty solid from three. Mm-hmm. So replacing those three guys and trying to find someone that really can establish themselves and make them be consistent. Because I know Anthony Polite, he started to find a stroke there during the season, but it's still he hasn't been consistent enough his whole career. He's gotten better each year. So hopefully this is that year where he can kind of make that jump and really make shots for this club, but you're not going to be able to rely on Wyatt Wilkes. No. Wyatt Wilkes is not going to be the rock of this three-point team. He's not going to be the guy in that respect. So it's really going to have to come down to MJ being the man of this team right now or Anthony Polite stepping up as well. Yeah, there was that one game, I believe it was against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. where Wyatt Wilkes just showed out from three-point range. I think he was one shy of being perfect. That was a really fun game to watch, but I mean... Other games where he was uh, played a larger role due to injury or uh, players not being available, he wasn't as impressive. So definitely, that's going to be an area that the that uh, the Seminoles need to improve on. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to have a few more games coming up here on the FSU schedule for the men's side. They will be playing North Florida this weekend. Then they got, uh, or sorry, this week on Wednesday, and then they will be taking on Indiana on the ninth. That will be a huge game, a yeah. big revenge game for Florida State. I know. I can't remember which player. Somebody took over the um, Knoll Zone Instagram the other day, and they said everyone on this team is most excited to be taking on Indiana again and possibly getting that chance at redemption because, like we said last year, in the, or last the, a couple of weeks ago, Indiana crushed this team last year with yep. the probably one of the best college three-point shooting performances we've ever seen because they really put it on. I think the score of that game, it was 80-64 to 64 in Indiana. So... Really interesting schedule coming up. I know they also take on the Gators uh, just after Indiana, and then they start to get into that ACC schedule. So that'll be really interesting going forward. But I think that's all we got FSU athletics-wise. We can we'll we'll dip our toes into the college football landscape uh, for these last three minutes before we head to break, and then we'll be joined by Max Rundy and talking about a little bit more college football and some NFL because we got a lot of NFL stuff yeah. going on. There's so much going on. But first, let's let's finish off this segment with the. Uh, the, I'd say the biggest story in college football this week. I know it wasn't the Iron Bowl somehow. It's usually the Iron Bowl when it comes to that time of the year. Nick Saban obviously wasn't coaching this year, but the biggest story, Sarah Fuller, Vanderbilt kick, now Vanderbilt kicker. Uh, she is well, she is the also the uh, goalkeeper for Vanderbilt's women's soccer team. She is an SEC champion this year, and she is now the first women's woman to suit up and play a game in the Power Five football conference. So props to her. I mean, that's huge that she was able to do that and get that under her belt. I know they only got, she only got one kick in and it was a squib kick to start off the second half. But I mean, just the fact that they went to her to go and say, hey, we need a kicker. We're not going to go be like what Florida did a few years ago and put it out to a tryout between the student body. They went to someone that they know and they've seen. And obviously it's well documented. She has one heck of a leg. Mm -hmm. And so they were fully confident in her putting her out on the field and seeing what she could do. Sadly, just Vanderbilt sucks. <laughs> Vanderbilt football just straight up sucks. They lost 41 and nothing to Mizzou. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't give her really the chance to shine. But, hey, she got there. That's I think that's huge. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't matter if she went out there and kicked 10 extra points and five field goals or if she went out there and did the one squib kick that she did. That's that's a barrier broken either way. And she just she seemed elated in postgame interviews, whatever content that she put out after that. Uh, really appreciative of the opportunity. And apparently there's mutual interest for her to remain as Vanderbilt's kicker, uh, even though she didn't get an opportunity to try and put one through the uprights. Uh, that's really just more of a reflection of Vandy than it is on her, obviously, because she wasn't wasn't given the opportunity. But I mean, I'm excited to see her compete if she is brought back for another week. Uh, that's I mean, I, I would hope that Vandy's kicker situation is a little bit more stable. But if it means that she gets to show out and continue to break barriers for women in men's sports, then by all means, go ahead. Yeah, give us a, give us a kicker competition because obviously Vandy isn't that good this year. So, hey, why not shake things up in that locker room? Because they need something. They need some sort of spark. And Sarah Fuller might as well just bring that spark for them. So mm-hmm. hopefully she can stay there. Because I know uh, it was the reason she was obviously brought up is because the whole kicking squad was contact traced for COVID-19. And so they just took all precautions and said, we're going to go with Sarah for this week. She's got the nod. And so I didn't I didn't know she actually got the nod to be coming back next week. So that's really that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was I forget which uh, 
which uh, network uh, was was broadcasting it? Probably CBS, yeah. I think for I think it was SEC Network. SEC for that Network, game. yeah. But in an interview post game, Sheep said that uh, just during the during the week conversations with uh, higher ups, they said that they would really like to have her back, and I assume those sentiments remain after the game because mm-hmm. she didn't get a chance to really show herself. Well, hopefully that hopefully that invitation still stays there because Derek Mason was fired yeah. on just shortly after. I think it was on the Sunday after that game. So. Hopefully the coaching staff still honors that invitation and they keep and they bring her back for next week because I really want to see what she can do on a football field because obviously we know she's amazing on the soccer field. So hopefully we'll get to see that next week. But we're going to go to break right now. We'll be back with some more college football talk and some NFL shortly after. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We are now joined by Max Rundy. My, I'm Gary Punnick. I'm joined by Austin Reynolds, as always. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Just at home surviving. You have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. We had some unfortunate news come up about a positive test, but we... We've gotten through it so far. Well, hopefully uh, you guys all stay safe. We're probably we're hoping for the best for y'all. So let's hope on that one. We can let's dig into some college football though as we move into the second half. We have some we have some interesting games and a lot of interesting playoff uh, things are now changing. We had a huge shakeup at least for the Pac-12 on Friday night. Oregon State upset Oregon to win the Platypus Trophy on Friday night. That was I love that that tro- that's one of the best trophies ever. Yeah, I, I just love the name alone, but I, that's the rivalry really hasn't been there in the in the recent years. But the name just carries it. I think Tom Fernelli is trying to make Battle Puss the official name of that rivalry <laughs> because they did do away with their old tag, which was the Civil War. So, right. they uh, Oregon State won that game, forty-one thirty-eight. Oregon is now pretty much out of the playoff con- uh, conversation. They were fifteenth uh, this pa- this previous week in the college football playoff ranking. But I mean, that game was a mess. I mean, Max, did you watch this game? I was only able to catch the very end and the Oregon State go-ahead touchdown. Perfect. That's all you needed to watch of this game because, I mean, what were your guys' thoughts on this officiating crew at the end? I know they missed a huge offsides call on, was it third and one or third and goal for mm-hmm. Oregon State. Oregon, uh, number 99 in the offense on the defensive line, jumped and got in the backfield before the ball was snapped, made a tackle. Somehow the line's judges did not see it, and it could have really affected this game, but Thankfully, it did not. What were you guys' thoughts on this officiating crew, Austin? Yeah, it's it's pretty much what you said. I can't remember a lot of the specifics, uh, the calls that they missed, but they really just did seem to be tripping over themselves the entire le- late sequence of the game. 
uh, just not being able to get calls out clearly, uh, not being able to communicate what, what was actually going on. So, I mean, in a game that is as tightly contested as this one, you would like a little more clarity from the refereeing, even if none of the decisions they made really ended up uh, impacting the game in a negative way. But just t- tighten up, please. <laughs> Max? Like I said, I didn't get to catch a lot of it, but I do remember watching the very end and just being like, this game looks very like static and not as fluid as most college football should, especially a rivalry game when it's this close with a ranked team. I was just, it was shocking first off to see Oregon lose, but yeah, I don't know, just officiating really frustrating around the world really right now. I think your viewing experience was a little bit altered just because there were no fans in that stand, and it was Mm -hmm. in Oregon State. I mean, I I think even if there were fans there, Oregon State may have won that game by possibly more. Right. But Oregon State did come, or sorry, Oregon State would have still won by possibly even more. But yeah, I think the lack of crowd really made that a weird viewing experience, and also that fog. That fog, there was so much fog at this game. It looked like someone was constantly shooting off fireworks around the stadium, and it was rolling in. But does org the, does the Pac-12 have any chance of making the playoff now? Max, we can start with you. Uh, definitely not. And honestly, I wouldn't have had them really going in, even if Oregon came out on top and somehow did well the rest of the season. I just I have a hot take on this uh, hmm. college playoff ranking. I really think it's going to be two SEC and two ACs. I and that's including wrong. if Ohio State finishes <laughs> off. I hope you're so wrong on that. I think the rest of the nation agrees with me on this one. <laughs> I just I just don't see how Ohio State can make it with so few games and it's just it seems so wrong to even consider them cuz so many people are saying, "Oh, this team's really good," but that's just because they look good on paper, not necessarily because of their showing off talent. Don't get me wrong, that's a lot of college football right now. I just really don't see any other way unless maybe Cincinnati or BYU sneak up. Yeah, I mean, if it did come down to, I mean, I, I would say there's going to be two teams from the ACC in the playoff. I, I would think that Clemson and Notre Dame get the nod unless Clemson is just obliterated or really either team is obliterated in the, uh, the title game. But if it were to come down to sending a second SEC team versus sending Cincinnati, uh, if we assume that they are the best non-group or non-Power 5 team, then I think that conversation would have to lean towards the SEC just because of the the audience that they would bring, the revenue that they would bring. Uh, it's it's a really dirty motivation to pick them over a potentially undefeated Cincinnati. But I mean, with Ohio State potentially being ineligible for their championship if they miss one more game, with the Pac-12, I mean they were never really in the conversation to begin with. But after this weekend, they are completely out of it. Uh, all the all the pieces are falling together to potentially make this an ACC versus SEC playoff, and I don't know if I like it. I don't like it. I as much as like you would expect people in ACC country to be kind of ACC homers. That's probably the last thing I'd like to see at this mm-hmm. point. I don't. I want something different because we get the two teams from one conference almost every year, and the Big Twelve has shot themselves in the foot like they always do. Yeah. Now the Pac-12 has done it again. And we're in this scenario where this could be the darkest timeline. And so uh, now, and Max mentioned it with Ohio State, going to give a little bit more clarity to the situation. They have two games left on their schedule. You need six games to qualify for the college or for the Big Ten title game. As of right now, they're at four games. They're four and oh. If they get one more game postponed, if they don't play one more game and there's no room to make up games in the Big Ten uh, calendar right now, if they just get one canceled, it's over. Yep. Ohio State doesn't make the playoff. Ohio State or shouldn't make the playoff. Ohio State doesn't make the Big Ten title game. That would then grant Indiana, if results hold, Indiana would make it and Northwestern would be in it from the West. Does If Ohio State cannot meet this requirement of the five or the six games should the is the big 10 or do you would you expect the big 10 to kind of adjust the rules so that they can get ohio state in the playoff i would not be surprised if they do it just because ohio state is their their baby their cash cow uh, and they want them in the playoff by any means possible but i I think it would be just a really bad public look for you to completely walk back your guidelines your for eligibility for the championship game just because ohio state is would not be eligible I mean, this this game against Michigan State coming up, that's really in jeopardy because of the quarantine uh, timeline for, that the Big Ten has instituted. It's a lot more strict than some of the other Power Five conferences, minus the Pac-12. So, I mean, 
that's that's really tough for Ohio State, but I just don't think that even their draw would be enough for the Big Ten to just walk back everything it's said so far. Max? I would totally agree with everything he was saying. I just don't see how a conference that was originally not going to play at all, and then they come out and say they're going to play, but they're going to have really strict guidelines about it. Yeah, you're going to make a lot of money by putting Ohio State in the playoff, and a lot of people around the country would like to see them there. I just don't see how they can bend their rules just to do that. And I personally, like I said earlier, I just don't think Ohio State with six games should have a chance to get in. Like some of these other teams are playing 10-plus games, and they're really putting their heart and soul into every single week, whether it's Power 5 or not. It's, I just think it would be wrong to put a six-game team in it over someone like an undefeated Cincinnati. And you bring, you bring up a good point there because – a lot of the playoff rankings, they always like to talk about strength of schedule. And Ohio State's strength of schedule isn't that good. Yeah. I mean, let's address the elephant in the room. Ohio State's, uh, they played Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, Indiana, who's a good team in my opinion, Michigan State, and Michigan. Those are their last two games on schedule. You cannot justify that. I mean, if you're saying a one rank, they played one ranked team this year, that would be one ranked team. <laughs> If they do that, I mean, Cincinnati, they played number 22 Army. They played, uh, they could play number 25 Tulsa. They played number 16 SMU. They played more ranked teams. Therefore, shouldn't they deserve it more? And they played eight games and they just had their first uh, postponement or cancellation when they were supposed to play Temple this week. So, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling how stupid and how backwards the playoff rankings sometimes seem to be. Yeah, it, I, I definitely would lean, personally, I would lean Cincinnati if we were put into this dilemma, just because, like you said, they've played a tougher schedule, they've played more games, they've had uh, only the one postponement, but they just don't have that Power 5, that Big 10, that Ohio State clout that really carries that brand. So it's unfortunate. Uh, I I really hope that Cincinnati is able to get that fourth seed if all the stars align, but it's looking looking kind of rough. Well, usually Cincinnati or a team like them would get their opportunity to play a Power 5 school with but, a normal schedule. Yeah. But the Power 5 schools have squeezed out the uh, the group of six guys. And now they've made it that uh, top tier and bottom tier. And there's mm-hmm. a clear wall between the two. So the it's all working out to the Power 5's favor. The Big 10, the SEC, the ACC, they're getting what they want. And they probably will still get what they want. At the end of the day, I'm just hoping that the committee does not let a four uh, four <laughs> Ohio State into the playoffs somehow. That would be crazy that they could play possibly at half their season or technically a third of their season in the playoff. <laughs> that would be insane. It would be awful. But let's get into it quickly before we get some NFL stuff. Let's let's create our own playoff ranking. Let's give our own top four here. Max, we can start with you on this one. Well, as much as I disliked this school last time I was on the show, Notre Dame will most likely make it. I do believe Alabama will be one. If Notre Dame can come out on top against Clemson again, I think Notre Dame's two. Clemson wins, I do believe Clemson Clemson then passes them up, mostly due to Lawrence being out when they played originally. I don't know if they'll take that into effect, but either way, Clemson and Notre Dame I think will be two, three. Four is the wild card, like by far. I Really, really dislike to say this, but I kind of think Florida's going to make it. Okay. But I'd much rather see Cincinnati or Texas a Ah, no, I don't like Jimbo either. Yeah, I, was, I just hope it's Cincinnati. I was about to say, how can you justify the head-to-head jump over yeah. for the Gators to them jump? Because Texas A&M's number five, the Gators are six. You can't say that Florida's better than A&M when A&M beat Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clearly there for you. Yeah, I just... Just don't like Jimbo Fisher. Oh, <laughs> I really don't. I got a brother who goes to Florida. I gotta like him a little bit. Like, Ooh. yikes! House divided to the Tallahassee yeah. community, but still. Yeah, I think a lot of us can uh, relate to those Jimbo Fisher sentiments. Uh, we're not gonna get too deep into that. Um, th- the situation of if Florida loses in the SEC championship game to Alabama, which we are assuming. Uh, that creates it a, a little more dicey dynamic for that four spot. I do think it would it would go. Alabama, uh, see, this 2-3 this spot also gets me because I'm looking at it now. This is what I thought when the rankings were revealed. I thought it was odd that 
two ACC teams in Notre Dame and Clemson would be in the 2-3 slot because that would just be, if it holds, it would be the third meeting between them this season. So you don't want that in the first round. Obviously, that did not happen between uh, Georgia and Alabama when those two teams made it in 2017, I believe. Uh, Georgia was three, Bama was four. There was some argument that they could meet in the first round. But, I mean, with Bama taking up the one spot, that's almost what it has to come down to. So I would say the winner of Notre Dame-Clemson gets two, the loser gets three and four. I mean, I would say just my heart says Cincinnati, my brain says Ohio State. Yes, Cincinnati, finally. So, yes, I so I'm actually going to change a little bit of your ranking. So I have Alabama, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Ooh. and then Clemson. Okay. Because I'm sticking with my whole thing about Clemson last week. I know I went on my Dabo rant and I dug into him. Uh, he proved he they played pretty good game against Pitt. They showed up against the Panthers, and they proved that D line was pretty still good, but they proved they're a lot better than that. But Ohio State they're getting moved out because of their possible situation. Because best thing that Michigan could do, Michigan football and Jim Harbaugh can do, is cancel that game. If mm. that's the biggest win in Jim Harbaugh's career, if he can cancel that game, just not even <laughs> get, don't even get sick, just try and like fake some papers saying that you're sick yeah. and give it to the Big Ten saying we're sick and then game's canceled. Boom. You're good. And then Harbaugh's king of Michigan once again and he saved his job. So I'm going to go like I said, Alabama, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Clemson, Ohio State. You get the boot this week on my end. But let's get into some NFL now that we're done with that there because we got to keep this one moving here. So uh, do we want to talk any Thanksgiving football? Because I know that's there. There were some good games. There were some bad ones. It was. It was still fun. It's still Thanksgiving football. It was still there for us this year. Yeah, it's it's really a shame that the one biggest draw on that Thanksgiving slate it got postponed and postponed again and postponed again. Uh, it's currently set to be played Wednesday this or two Wednesdays from now, I believe. Or wait, this coming Wednesday. Yeah, that would be yes, a, 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 a major wrench in the, the NFL schedule if it was two Wednesdays from now. But this coming Wednesday, Pittsburgh and Baltimore are supposed to play. Um, but really, my biggest takeaway from those two games that were played is that I am just distraught that my opponent in fantasy this week had Will Fuller. I had Derrick Henry. Even he wasn't enough to kind of throw uh, put me over the, 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 the wall, I guess, because Will Fuller just had a incredible day and you were one week short on getting the will playing against a team that had will fuller because he has just been suspended for uh substance abuse or for a substance uh violation so sucks to be you in that regard for fantasy but hey the falcons they got a big win they beat the raiders and the raiders they look to be in a little bit of a spire in a free fall right now yeah, there was there was one graphic that was put on during the game that's the Raiders were six and four at this time last year and went on to lose five of their next six games to close out the season, finish seven and nine. And I thought, no, nah, that, that's not going to happen. They're playing the Falcons. We are just without Julio Jones, Todd Gurley. We are an absolute uh, embarrassment of a team. So they're going to get right against us. They did not get right against us. They lost by 37 points. I definitely did not see that coming, especially when uh, the receiving core was in tatters. Uh, it was really a running back by committee. But, I mean, the offense didn't really do anything. It was really the defense forcing turnovers. Young Way Koo made five of five field goal attempts. I honestly want a Young Way Koo jersey. He is, <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be just distraught when Matt Bryant left the organization, but Koo has stepped in and just taken me by storm. I am in love. I was, so. I was so shocked by that game this weekend. Yeah. I was not expecting the Falcons to put up that sort of fight, and no. I was not too happy because I'm a Josh Jacobs fantasy guy. Mm-hmm. And so he, you guys, they did a really good job of stopping them. Yeah, and as as for the the Raiders being in a bit of a free fall, obviously past tendencies would lead you to believe that they are. But, I mean, their schedule coming up. They play the Jets next, which you have to assume is a win. Colts after that, Chargers, Miami, and Denver. So that's a lot of winnable games on their schedule, especially with the uncertainty of the quarterback situation in Miami. Uh, if Tua's hand injury, thumb injury, whatever, is going to be a long-term thing. Uh, Fitzpatrick had a good day against the Jets this past Sunday, but we don't know if he's going to be Fitzmagic or Fitztragic. So... If he turns into Fitz Tragic, that could be one more step, uh, one more stepping stone for the Raiders to make a playoff push. Max, do the are the do the Raiders are they sorry are they still in the hunt right now, or are you kind of calling it for them and they're done? I really just never had much confidence that they would wow. stay up near the top. Sort of like how I predicted the Bears to lose four or five straight. Now, I just think. That game was a complete mess, honestly, that Falcons game. Falcons look like you look at the score of total blowout. 
the, the whole make or break of that game was the Falcons' defense. They rushed yeah. the quarterback amazingly. Pick six was huge. A very lucky roughing uh, the kicker call. But I actually have a question for you, Austin, about Koo. His kicking looks really weird in that game, and it's in a dome, but the ball is moving a lot. Like, that would be worrisome for me as a fan. Yeah, I don't know if you picked up on that. It's a little worry, worrisome for me, too. And just being a fan, I chalked a lot of it up to the roughing the kicker call. I thought that kind of sent him out of whack for a lot of the game, and he wasn't really right after that after that uh, penalty. But I didn't really pay much mind to his earlier kicks. I was just happy they went through, honestly. Um, I am just hoping that he can get healthy this week before we, we play the Saints again. Uh, hopefully have a better, better showing against them, by the way. But, I mean, I honestly have no complaints about Koo. If his kicking motion... Uh, if the movement to the ball becomes a problem later on, especially playing in a dome, then I might have some reservations. But for now, I am I'm sold on him. I'm gonna he looks great. Don't get me wrong. It's that was just a random thing I noticed. Mm-hmm. I was just very surprised for dome kick. I didn't even notice any of that. What you're mentioning, I'm gonna have to go back and look at the film tape on on the tape on him. But I know I want to talk about another team that it, on the opposite end. I know the Raiders are seem to be going a little bit downhill. A team that seems to be on the uptick, the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. And has Kirk Cousins turned a corner? I mean, he is playing some, and I'm not, I'm no Kirk Cousins fan mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But in his last, the Vikings are four and one in their last five. He's thrown 12 touchdowns and had one pick in that span. I mean, is Kirk Cousins actually playing up to what his monetary value has been set at? <laughs> In the regular season, sure, but, I mean, it's all about the playoffs. And if the Vikings are going to make the playoffs, I mean, they're on a tear right now. But if they make the playoffs, they're probably coming in as a 6 or 7 seed, going to have to play either New Orleans or Green Bay or Seattle. And that's exactly the kind of competition that Kirk Cousins is going to have to prove himself against. He did have the one of the 26-20 overtime win over the Saints last year that just warmed my heart, honestly. Uh, Seeing him complete that pass to, I believe it was Kyle Rudolph in overtime to send them to the divisional round where they kind of flamed out. But uh, that was an impressive showing from him, honestly. He outdueled Drew Brees there. But it's going to have to take another one of those performances for me to say that he's turned a corner. Max? I'm more on the side that the Vikings were like the exact opposite of the Bears this year. They came out to a really rough start that were really close games that I don't think showed their true team. The one downside about this team, though, is their defense is really young and a lot different than their defense from last year. They have a ton of uh, weapons on the offense, even with Thielen being out this past week and Cook having a little bit of an injury issue recently. I just, I don't see the, I see the Vikings as the clear number two best team in the NFC North. Whether they make the playoffs, not sure. And if they do, I have no confidence in them to win that game no matter (laughs) who they play. Well, we'll stick with the NFC North here because obviously the Packers are looking well entrenched in that first spot. But your Packers are doing pretty darn well. Is there any, are you, as a Packers fan, are you any bit worried about this playoff run and where this team could falter? I will say it's the same worry I've had about the Packers for years now. No matter who you give Aaron Rodgers, we're going to be a top five offense in the NFL, in my opinion. The issue is stopping the run. We have a pretty good cornerback in secondary this year, but you look at that Vikings game. Kirk Cousins did not win that game. He played fine, don't get me wrong, but Dalvin Cook destroyed the Packers' run, or run defense. And that's the only place. Defense just in general is very iffy with the uh, Smith brothers, as they call them, not being quite as good as last year. But as long as we can stop the run, I think we are the best team in the NFC. I, I think that's fair. I mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot more question marks. Obviously, we can just disregard any team that occupies a spot in the NFC East. The <laughs> NFC South, I mean, there are some real contenders, but the, uh, with Drew Brees not uh, with his health in question, you've got to rely on Taysom Hill yeah. to be the guy there and Tom Brady kind of being iffy every now and then. And then the, and the NFC West is a roller coaster every week. It's a uh, phenomenal division, but like any team can beat anyone on any given Sunday there. But yeah, the, the Packers seem to be the most consistent. I think that's the best way to put it. They're the most consistent out of every team in that NFC conference. But I want to talk about another team in that NFC conference and their good game. That was a really good game yesterday. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs. I know we didn't have Brett Rutherford on to talk about another crushing blow <laughs> for this Tampa Bay Bucks team as we usually do. 
But I really don't. I really do think it's a game worth mentioning because it brings up the question: Who did we learn more from in this game, the Bucks or the Chiefs? Honestly, I would say the Chiefs because we knew obviously they had a really high-powered offense. A lot of people say they are the best team in the NFL right now, um, even over the ten and zero Steelers. Uh, but I-, I am one of those people. I would say. But just the way they were able to work around the really stout Tampa Bay defense, uh, they've had some bad showings every now and then, but Tampa has consistently had a really impressive defense this year. Um, Like 200-some-odd receiving yards for Tyreek Hill in one quarter. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had near 400 by halftime. That was insane. They were able to shred Tampa's defense to a degree that nobody really expected. So if they were able to do that to Tampa, they I think that they are going to have a really clear shot to the ACC championship, or AFC championship game going back to college a little bit, uh, and potentially the Super Bowl to make another run at it. So Tampa, I mean, we've known they can have their slip-up games every now and then. The blowout loss to the Saints rings a bell. Uh, So I didn't really think anything of their loss yesterday, especially because it was so tightly contested. Max? I'm going to have to say the Bucs, and I don't really think about it from the standpoint that we didn't learn a lot about the Chiefs. The Chiefs they're a very explosive team. I feel like they could do this on any given Sunday, just pop off for a ton of points, a ton of yards. The thing that worries me about the Bucks in this game was the lack of coaching prepared. Like, you cannot have Tyreek Hill be guarded one-on-one in the first quarter with not your best corner. Their best corner was hurt, but he got blown up. And then they switched to double, and then Kels came on. And it just, it was just shocking to see how they didn't prepare better defensively. And then to continue on that, you go to the offense. The offenses look as inconsistent and out of Tom Brady's system quarterback ways <laughs> as possible. I just think Bruce Arians might need to go, honestly. Wow. wow you you think the QB whisperer's time is, needs to shut up? <laughs> I just don't think it meshes well with Tom Brady. I can see I'm a very against that man, but... It's just hard to watch him throw the ball deep. He just doesn't have it anymore. Yes, that's exactly it. I don't think Tom Brady's, at this point, it's really tough to say he's a good deep ball thrower. And Bruce Arians, for some reason, tries to keep making him throw the ball deep. And he hits it every now and then. He can hit a 30-yard pass. I mean, he's still a good quarterback. But he just doesn't have it as consistently as he used to. So you really have to play to his strengths. And you can still play to his strengths, and he'll do well for you because He's that smart of a quarterback and that good of a guy behind center there. So, yeah, Bruce Arians isn't making the right play calls to fit his system. He's really trying to force—he's trying to force a square peg into a round hole yeah. right now, and it's—it's it's not going to last much longer. I mean, they have pretty much the same exact record of them as the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I mean, you would expect a team like the Bucks and who they have to be better than Miami because the Miami—and especially when the Dolphins started Ryan Fitzpatrick to start the first five games of the year—you would. They, they really gave the Bucks a head start in that regard. But, hey, I mean, Bruce Arians, he's got to figure it out. Yeah, and it's it's really a curious roster makeup here because you have a lot of wide receivers who either are considered deep threats or were considered deep threats at one point in time. Mike Evans, Antonio Brown fit that bill, though Brown has had some troubles getting into the offense uh, since he's been picked up, uh, not had a lot of really high-impact plays thus far. And then, as we mentioned, Tom Brady is just not that good at throwing the deep ball right now. So... You have a lot of guys who are good at that and a quarterback that isn't really in that domain anymore. Arians doesn't seem to realize that those two things are going on right now. So it's going to take some serious uh, soul-searching, reevaluation of the team to get them in a spot where they can contend in the playoffs. It feels like a situation of just too many cucks. They got yeah. too many. Their wide receiving core is amazing. It's it's so cool. It's so amazing to see. But you, there's only one ball. It's just mm-hmm. like basketball between Russell Westbrook and James Harden. There's only one basketball. There's only one football to throw around. So it's going to be tough to see this team kind of develop throughout the rest of this year. And I think uh, Jim, I think it was Jim Nance or Tony Romo was saying after the game as teams were shaking hands, he said, this is the Super Bowl preview. This was our Super Bowl preview because the Super Bowl is in Tampa this year. This game was in Tampa. And Romo expects to see uh, Tampa Bay and KC back in uh, that stadium come February. So I don't I don't really agree with that one, no. but hey. I think Romo was really unusually high on Tampa and Tom Brady as a whole yesterday. He was kind of like, obviously the, the deep throw uh, that, that Tom Brady had late in the game, that was impressive. And then he comes back the very next play and gives it back to Kansas City. Uh, Tom er, Tony Romo was really still making excuses for Tom Brady at that point. So I don't really 
get that from him. Uh, he's usually a really uh, unbiased announcer, uh, does a great job in that role, but yesterday was not one of his brightest days. I agree. And I want to close off with this one. We got one last game that I want to really bring up, and it's the Denver Broncos game because we have one side of the aisle where the Baltimore Ravens are having a ton of positive COVID tests, and the NFL keeps postponing their game. It was supposed to be on Thursday for Thanksgiving. Then it was supposed to be tomorrow night on Tuesday, and now it has since been pushed back to Wednesday because they've had so many positive tests, like Lamar Jackson, like Mark Andrews, like so many others on this team. But then we have the Denver Broncos, and they don't necessarily have the positives, but they had contact tracing that put their entire quarterback room into quarantine. So that meant they had to go to their practice squad and call up Kendall, was it? Kendall Hinton, yeah. Hinton, I almost said Hinton. So, yeah, they went and called him up. He hadn't played quarterback since he was at West or Wake Forest. He's been on their practice squad as a wide receiver recently. So why is how unfair is the NFL being to the Denver Broncos? It's pretty unfair, honestly, especially considering that Hinton was never a starter at Wake Forest in college. Uh, he was in line to be a starter, but then he had a suspension that knocked him out for a couple games. And when he came back, he never got his job back. Uh, he, he did have really limited game action as a quarterback at Wake Forest, but... That's really inconsequential when you are putting a practice squad wide receiver who had run little, if any, routes uh, with, the, with the number ones uh, prior to Sunday's game. That's just an awful situation to be put into. It's, it's literally akin to like picking somebody up off the street and saying, you play quarterback for me at the highest level possible. It's ridiculous, and I think the NFL really should have postponed this game to, to give the Broncos a chance to get an actual professional quarterback in that slot. And you want to know how many positive tests they had out of the co- uh, the quarterback room other than the uh, first positive? Zero. Zero. Yep. None of them tested positive. So, I mean, what the heck, NFL? Play them on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Put two Tuesday night games on again, and we'll all be happy, and we'll get an actual fair game because what the Miami Dolphins got the week before is nowhere near the same team that mm-hmm. we saw play the Saints on Sunday. So, crazy to see that. I mean, uh, Max, what are your thoughts on this? I just find it remarkable that they are going to push back the Steelers game almost an entire week, but not even this game was not moved at all. They didn't consider moving it to later that day, later than like at night, the next day, Monday night, like two Monday night games, very common. It wasn't even considered to be moved. They were just like, oh, it's the Broncos. Who cares? They're going to get destroyed by Saints anyway. I, I've heard a bunch of things about this, and the interesting one that came up for me is I've heard there might be – a possibility that ownership wasn't that actively like pursuing them to push it back. Just a rumor. Don't know how much there is to stand that up, but I wouldn't be too surprised if that were true. Yeah. That's, that's a question that I wanted to bring up as well, because I saw on Twitter, a lot of the players were saying, Oh, put me in coach like Von Miller. He said he was going to channel Von Elway, even though he's hurt right now. Uh, And I think Jerry Judy, the rookie wide receiver, was saying, oh, it's time to get my Lamar Jackson on, step into the quarterback role. So they were kind of joking about it. They weren't just crying on Twitter like the Steelers were when they said, oh, we don't get to play on Thanksgiving. So maybe there was some sentiment in the organization that they would rather just play the game, chalk it up as a loss uh, going into it, rather than just get pushed out of the comfort zone and play a game on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I I have no idea if there's any validity, validity to that. But that's just the sentiment, the sentiment that I got from seeing what some of the players were saying. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's mind-boggling. I don't like what the NFL did there because, like, before this, they've handled coronavirus pretty well or as well as they could really handle it by making all the teams travel around the nation like it was a normal football <laughs> season. But this was just such bad management. I mean, just think a little bit with your head. I mean, Roger Goodell, you got to be a smart guy. I mean, you're in the position you are. You didn't just get there by doing nothing. But it seems like he didn't. It seems like he really, him and his team just put zero effort into in this. They're just like, oh, screw them. Why not? We want football. We're going to play football. So that's it. So I don't know. It was really bad. I mean, any, do you guys have any other thoughts on any other NFL games or, any, or this game again? Nothing, nothing for me, no. Max, anything? I will say real quick, I've also heard that the NFL was trying to make a statement with this decision in that it was a self-imposed uh, positive test and then high exposure because they just weren't wearing masks in a team meeting. Like something very easy to get around. And I guess the NFL thought this would be a good game to just make it super strict on, even though they're pushing all these other games back. I don't know. It doesn't make much sense, but 
I guess I get it. By them sending a message, the only message that I got was a giant middle finger to the Denver Broncos. Yeah, yeah the only message that I got outside of that was just awful passing play because Taysom Hill and Kendall Hinton, like Kendall Hinton has an excuse. Taysom Hill did not do anything to wow me for the Saints. They actively took the ball out of his hands as the game went on. So that was just, I, I didn't watch it. I'm glad I didn't watch it. My mom was kind of campaigning for us to put that game on instead of Bucks and Chiefs, which turned out to be a more exciting game. But yeah, that, that game would have had me just clawing my eyes out. Can any of you guys tell me the combined number of passing yards between Kendall Hinton and and uh, Taysom Hill on Sunday. I know Hinton had... 61. Yeah, I know Hinton had one for 13. I don't know what, what Hill had. 91. Taysom Hill had 78. Oh. Hinton had 13. So, Crazy. just awful. I mean, like, yeah. I wonder when's the... I bet you the last time we've had an NFL game where there have been less than 100 passing yards was probably like the 1940s or something yeah. like that, or I, way I, before the Super Bowl era. I was going to say definitely before World War II, because that is just <clears throat> in, insane. Yeah, before Teddy Roosevelt invented the the pass, that was probably <laughs> it. But yeah, I think that's all we got. Max, really appreciate you coming on for this. Hopefully your family is doing well. Hopefully all is well and stays safe for you down at home. Thank you, thank you. It was fun to be on. Yep, as always. Thank you uh, very much for listening. And that's all we got for myself. For Austin, Sebastian is not here, but we have it still recorded. So you can still listen to this show in the coming days on podcast form on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, any of your other uh, favorite platforms will be there. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.